You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Today, April 20th, cannabis producers, consumers and advocates will come together to celebrate marijuana. It's a date that's become associated with a drug in the US. It's a national day for cannabis culture, with many saying it's time we here in Australia follow the lead of many American states and legalise marijuana for recreational purposes. But there are some who are concerned this will open the door for misuse that will end up having impacts on both the physical and mental health of those who partake. Today, we look at the pros and cons of cannabis use and whether legalising it has created a monster or a pathway to relief. But first, news headlines for Thursday, April 20. In the wake of 10 straight interest rate rises, the Reserve Bank of Australia is facing a major overhaul with the creation of two separate boards, one responsible for governance and the other to set interest rates. A full review of the RBA to be handed down by the Treasurer Jim Chalmers today makes 51 specific recommendations, all of which have received provisional approval by the Albanese government. The creation of the governance board bringing Australia's central bank in line with others, tasked with overseeing operations that don't concern monetary policy. The review will also recommend the RBA remains independent and that it keeps the inflation targeting framework intact. Northern Territory Coalition MP Jacinta Price has starred in a nine-minute ad for the Voice No campaign alongside her husband, where they say they don't want it to divide their own blended family. Price, who is now the Coalition's new spokesperson for Indigenous Australians after the previous person to hold the position, Gillian Lisa, left the Liberals in the wake of leader Peter Dutton announcing they would not be supporting the Voice, is married to a Scottish man, Colin Lilly, and her parents are Aboriginal and white. Price saying the Voice will divide families like hers along race lines. Yesterday, Torres Strait Islanders and Far North Queenslanders addressed a parliamentary inquiry examining the wording of the proposed constitutional change. The Torres Strait Island Regional Council Mayor Philemon Mosby saying his people see the voice as unfinished business and that they stand with their Aboriginal brothers and sisters supporting the voice to Parliament. U.S. police have arrested two teenagers believed to be responsible for the shooting deaths of four people at a 16th birthday party last weekend. The 16- and 17-year-old brothers have been charged with murder, the district attorney saying they'll be tried as adults and that the prosecutors will be requesting they be held without bail. Witnesses say the shooting began after the birthday girl's mother paused celebrations momentarily to ask people with guns to leave. Four people still remain in hospital in a critical condition, the violence shocking the community of Dadeville, Alabama, a small town of just 3,200 people, leaving four young people dead and 32 others wounded. A 21-year-old who's been arrested over allegedly leaking secret military intelligence on gaming chat platform Discord will remain in jail. Jax Texera, a US Air Force National Guard member, allegedly led a private chat group where a small group of men posted memes and discussed shared interests, including gaming, racist jokes and gun culture. 
He also reportedly shared documents, some of which included sensitive details about the war in Ukraine. Texera was due to appear in federal court in Boston to determine whether he would remain behind bars pending trial. But just two hours before the hearing, the defence team filed a request asking for a delay for two weeks, needing more time to address issues presented by the government's request for detention. More than 20,000 people are expected to head to a remote peninsula on the WA coast today to witness a total solar eclipse. Day will turn into night as darkness is set to descend over the Ningaloo Reef region at 11.29am local time, 1.29pm eastern time, as the moon passes between the sun and the earth. During that time, a bright solar corona that looks like a white halo may also become visible on the northwest cape when the moon completely covers the sun. The town of Exmouth in WA, which normally has about 2,800 residents, has swollen in recent days as thousands of visitors arrived hoping to witness the eclipse, with campsites springing up in front yards and on vacant blocks, creating a festival atmosphere in the normally quiet town. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. There are a lot of theories as to why April 20 became the day for marijuana fans. There's a rumour that 420, the way Americans say the date with the month first, was a police code for marijuana smoking in progress. There are also references to a certain Nazi dictator's birthday and a Bob Dylan song. But in reality, the day came from a bunch of high school students in California. The group, who called themselves the Waldos, all attended San Rafael High School in Marin County, California in 1971. And during the day, the group of five boys, Steve Kappa, Dave Reddix, Jeffrey Knoll, Larry Schwartz and Mark Gravich, would say 420 to each other as code to meet by the campus statue of chemist Louis Pasteur to smoke weed together. 420 just meant the time of day they'd catch up, with most extracurricular activities done by then. Reddix told Time magazine in 2017 that they'd gotten tired of Friday night football with all the jocks and the glory, so instead they spent their time under the stand smoking weed. Eventually, Reddix's brother got him a job as a roadie for the band The Grateful Dead. The band then helped popularise the 420 code, and on December 28, 1990, a group of deadheads, as the band's fans were known, handed out flyers inviting people to smoke 420 on April 20. One of those flyers ended up being printed in High Times magazine, a publication on cannabis culture, and soon 420 became known as the Stoner Holiday. There are many who say that marijuana is a relatively harmless drug that mellows you out and doesn't have the same addictive spirals that other harder substances like heroin and meth do. But others are concerned that we're playing down the risks and issues surrounding the use of the drug and that legalising it would only make people feel more comfortable using it. Like this email we received from a listener. Is there a chance, please, of doing a pod on the long-term effects of regular long-term use over many years of marijuana and the fact that due to changing laws, it's seen as a no-big-deal social drug and by users, a better alternative to alcohol? She goes on to explain that a family member with a history of binge drinking has switched to smoking marijuana, which that family member sees as a better alternative, and that they rely on it to chill out at the end of the day where they would otherwise feel uptight and have a drink. 
The email author also says that she's tried to talk to her family member about their increased and prolonged use of cannabis, but says she's met with resistance. The person saying they won't be changing their use of the drug and it'll be legal soon enough anyway. She says she's frustrated that the use of the drug is not being taken seriously and that there are impacts that aren't being taken into account. But others who are backing the legalisation of marijuana say its benefits outweigh the cons. I think that this question of whether legalising cannabis outweighs the risks is a bit of a tricky one. I mean, if we think about what we accept as risk in society, I mean, there's a whole range, right? And we just need to look at something like alcohol that has very well-measured risks, but it's regulated. We know the unit dose. People know when they buy a beer or a bottle of vodka exactly what they're getting. And that helps mitigate the risk. When we think about drug prohibition, the people that it affects negatively are the people who already have the least power and say in society. So actually, I think a vote for legalization is a vote for empowerment of people who already have little of a voice and is in line with what we already have agreed in most of the current world, what is rational. Basically, if you are comfortable with alcohol being legalised in society, and I would say 99.9% of people are, even if you don't drink, I don't understand why it's any different with marijuana. It is a substance that's way more natural than alcohol. There's lots of people with complex relationships with alcohol. The same with marijuana, but having it illegal while alcohol is legal just makes no sense to me. So how concerned do we need to be about marijuana? And how close are we to actually legalising it? According to the 2019 National Drug Use Household Survey, 40% of Australians have used cannabis. 11.7%, or around 2.5 million Aussies aged over 14, had used it in the 12 months prior, including use for medicinal purposes prescribed by a doctor. Before 2016, the laws in this country meant cannabis was considered an illegal narcotic. But in February 2016, the Narcotics Drug Act of 1967 was amended to allow medicinal cannabis products to be made available for specific patient groups under strict medical supervision. That means the process from growing the plant to cultivating it and manufacturing the medicine and then distributing it is heavily regulated. Older Australians, particularly those aged over 60, are the most likely to use medicinal marijuana while people in their 20s were more likely to be using it for recreational purposes. For those using it medicinally, they're mostly treating conditions like chronic pain, mental illness and hypertension. Now, we've all heard some facts and figures about marijuana, like that making it legal will make more kids use it, that it can cause cancer, that it's a gateway drug to other illicit substances and a potential life of crime, that you become an addict like you would taking other drugs or that it's completely harmless. So how much of that is fact and how much is fiction? Dr Nicole Lee is a professor at the National Drug Research Institute at Curtin University. Dr Lee, can you give us an idea on exactly what cannabis does to you when you take it, whether you eat it or smoke it or however you ingest it? Yeah, so it's a depressant, it's a relaxant, and so when you take it, it tends to make people feel chilled out and very pleasant at lower doses. If you take too much, then you start to get things like increased heart rate and potentially a bit of anxiety and paranoia. But most people wouldn't use that much in one go. And so most people would just feel really relaxed and euphoric and happy. I know I sort of mentioned this at the start, but does that actually make a difference how you ingest it between an edible or smoking it? Does it matter? 
Well, it just matters in terms of how fast it gets into your system and how fast you'll feel the effects. So if you inhale it with a bong or you smoke it, it tends to be a bit faster than if you ingest it in a cookie, for example, because that's got to go all the way down into your stomach before you start to feel the effects. Can you become an addict where it comes to cannabis? Well, if you think about addiction as becoming kind of reliant on it or dependent on it, yes, you definitely can. There's definitely some people who become dependent on its effects. And so what they will find is that they will need more and more to get the same effects over time. Or if they use the same amount, they won't get the same effects on the flip side of that. And that is what we call tolerance. And so people become more and more tolerant of it over time. And then when you stop using, then you can go into what we call withdrawal. So you'll start to have some very unpleasant flip side effects. And those are usually things like being really irritable and very anxious, not feeling like you want to eat anything. Sometimes people get kind of sweating and chills and tremors and often, you know, sleep problems, restlessness during sleep or waking up during sleep. Can we talk about the physical issues you might have when you do use cannabis? And I know you've kind of mentioned some of those. Withdrawal is definitely part of a a physical reaction, but there's lots of discussions around whether it causes, you know, lung issues, obviously, because if you're inhaling anything, obviously it's going to impact the lungs, that it might impact other internal organs like your liver or that it could cause cancer or have structural changes to your brain. Do we know what physical impact cannabis use can have on us? Yeah, we've got a really good idea about that because it's had a lot of research done on it. So we do know that the main physical problem with cannabis tends to be related to smoking it because most people do smoke it. And those are things like respiratory problems, cancer even, because a lot of people mix it with tobacco, which is the cancer-causing part of it. People can acquire things like asthma and bronchitis. They might get like their throat is kind of chronically irritated. So those kinds of things, they're not necessarily related to the cannabis or the active ingredients themselves. They're related to the mode of delivery, which is smoking it. What about mental health? And this is where a lot of people sit in one camp as opposed to another, because a lot of people use it for beneficial mental health reasons. They say that it makes them feel calmer, that it makes them feel like they can handle and cope with things. Whereas there's a lot of discussion that cannabis use can lead to psychosis or can actually make some other mental health issues worse, like schizophrenia or bipolar or things like that. Where do we sit on how cannabis impacts our mental health? Yeah, we don't think it just causes all of these mental health problems on its own. You need to have a certain vulnerability to those problems. So if you have a family history of mental illness like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, if you smoke cannabis or use cannabis, you are more likely to experience those kind of problems over the long term. If you don't have a family history or you're not vulnerable, then you're much less likely to 
experience those problems. And if you already have mental health issues, it can make them worse. So the kind of yardstick is very just individual. Like if you have a family history or you've experienced psychosis in the past while you've been using, then it's probably a good idea not to continue to use because it probably will make those symptoms worse over time. Are there benefits to our mental health of using cannabis? Well, I think, yeah, the first thing to acknowledge is that, well, nearly 40% of adults in Australia have used cannabis at some point in their life and around 12% use at least once a year and the vast majority of those people just get the pleasant effects and have no ill effects from it. So most people who use definitely do just use to feel good, either to feel better than normal or sometimes if they're not feeling that well to feel normal. If they're feeling a bit flat or they're feeling a bit anxious, then they may use it to feel less of those things. So it definitely has a large range of positive impacts for some people. The problem is that we don't know who is going to have those negative impacts. It's really difficult to predict. What about the gateway theory, Nicole, that has been talked about for a very long time where those who use cannabis, especially as a younger person, is opening themselves up to be more likely to try other illicit substances? Has that actually been proven? This is a very, very old theory. And if you think about it, it does in some ways make sense, but it's never been shown to be correct. So it's completely debunked now, even though a lot of people still kind of trot it out. Cannabis isn't a gateway to other drugs. How this came about was that people noticed that people who used if we say heavier drugs in inverted commas, so uh, heroin or amphetamines, before they started doing that, they used cannabis. And so this idea was that cannabis must be a gateway into it. But if you look on the flip side of that, the vast majority of people who use cannabis never go on to use any other drugs. So it's not a gateway drug. If there was a gateway drug, it would probably be tobacco or alcohol because most people use tobacco or alcohol before they use cannabis. So how close are we to legalising marijuana here in Australia? Green Senator David Shoebridge says the industry could stop billions of public dollars going into policing the drug, a move he says is failing anyway, and turn that around into a $28 billion revenue stream in the first decade. David, doesn't talking about this in a monetary way just mean we're kind of cashing in on people's addictions? Well, I think we should acknowledge that cannabis is the most widely used illicit drug in Australia, and that's not going to change whether it's legal or illegal. And if that is the case, do we want that industry to continue to be run by organised crime and bikey gangs and see the profits go to some of the worst people in society? Or do we want to acknowledge reality and regulate the industry, put as many health protections as we can around it and see the revenue go to do a whole lot of good? This isn't, you know, some kind of perfect nirvana where we can choose to just remove something entirely from society. That's a reality. So the question for politics is how best do you deal with that reality? And we say if you deal with it in a way that reduces its health impacts, disempowers organised crime, gets around about 80,000 people out of the criminal justice system for cannabis possession and also produces $28 billion in revenue over the first decade, why wouldn't you do that? How far along are we actually in the process of legalising marijuana here in Australia? 
So we kicked this off when I came into the Senate in July of last year. We started doing the hard groundwork. And one of the first things we did, which I think changes the debate, is we got constitutional legal advice that we can legalise cannabis through the federal parliament. Previously, everyone's thought that this had to be done state by state, territory by territory, in battles that are often being opposed by extremely powerful state police forces. But we had constitutional advice that we can actually do it in the federal parliament, hopefully lift the level of the debate away from some of that quite toxic and unhelpful law and order debate we have at a state and a territory level and actually do it in one bill. So having got that advice, we've now worked with stakeholders. We've produced a draft bill that we put out for consultation only a couple of weeks ago. And we put with that an online submission process. And to to give you some idea of the level of support, we've had more than 5,500 formal submissions going through our detailed consultation process in just a couple of weeks since we released it. And that's the level of public input that you wouldn't see on any government bill or any traditional piece of legislation. How do you feel this is going to progress? I mean, I know that in literature on the website, you talk about the fact that we now have a Labor government and that the Greens do hold some balance of power. Do you feel like there's a real possibility that this will be a reality down the track, not too distant future? Yeah, we're doing this because we know it's going to happen. And we're doing this because we know millions of Australians are behind it. The the current position of the Labor government is that they say that they have no current plans to legalise cannabis. My job is to come up with a bill that gets millions of people excited, builds that campaign and changes Labor's intention from no intention to legalise cannabis to they can't resist it. You know, our plan is to have millions of Australians joining with us to urge the Labor government to pass it early next year. And of course, I don't pretend that's going to be simple. Senator, what do you say to those people who say that this is harmful to the Australian community by legalising a drug, making it seem like it's harmless and so other people will maybe partake when maybe they wouldn't have while it had been illegal. What do you say to that argument? Well, all of the evidence from overseas shows that there is at best a very marginal increase in cannabis use when you legalise it. And much of that comes from a substitution effect where people substitute cannabis for alcohol. And if you look at the literature on harm impacts of those two drugs, you would have to say that that's a net health saving because alcohol is undoubtedly a more harmful drug than cannabis. So we don't pretend that there are no harms associated with cannabis, but if you look at the literature, it's significantly less harmful than alcohol and tobacco. And this is about the best public health public policy response we can have to a real world problem. And I can tell you this, getting 80,000 largely young people, many of them First Nations people, out of the criminal justice system in circumstances where they're only there because the police are in their face searching them, pulling them over because they think they may be in possession of cannabis. If that's all we did, well, that would be a huge social good. If you were to place marijuana on a scale of 1 to 10 of danger, with 1 being, say, Panadol and 10 being heroin or meth, where exactly does marijuana sit? As a drug, the health effects of it are probably somewhere in the middle to the lower end of 
problem. You know, obviously lung problems, chronic lung problems are a serious issue, but actually the biggest problem with using cannabis right now is getting caught up in the legal system. And most people will use it without any significant issues. It's hard to overdose on it. People don't die from it immediately, for example. They don't overdose and die in the same way that they do with heroin. So in that sense, it is less risky. It does have the additional risk that we often don't talk about, which is if you're smoking it, there's kind of secondhand smoke as well for other people. So it does impact on other people a bit more than, say, heroin or ice or those kinds of drugs in terms of other people's health. When I gave Dr Lee that hypothetical scale, she told me after our chat that someone has actually created a scale like this and the drug at the very top is not meth or heroin or fentanyl. It's not even an illegal substance. The drug that causes the most risk to Australians and damage to families in our society is alcohol, which is responsible for nearly 6,000 deaths in this country every year. That's around one person every 90 minutes. According to that study published in the Journal of Psychopharmacology, Dr Lee was right. Marijuana is in the middle of the pack as far as the drugs that cause the most harm to the Australian community. But if you are struggling with addiction issues or feel like your use of any drug is slipping out of your control, please speak to someone who can help. Reach out to your GP or the National Alcohol and Other Drug Hotline on 1800 250 015. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. 